If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk about a message called Message from God. Start this morning with talking about a man named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in his church. He taught the boys. And he wasn't an ordinary type of Sunday school teacher. He wasn't a guy that just showed up, taught his lesson, and then went home. He was a guy that got really, really involved in his kids' lives. He got to know them on a personal level. He got to know their hopes and their dreams and what they were going to do with their life. And one day, a new teenage boy started to attend his class. And was his custom, he went to his place of employment. This is back in the late 1800s. And so he went to his place of employment, which was a shoe store downtown. And Mr. Kimball wrote in his diary about the encounter. He said, I was nearly there, and I began to wonder if I should go in during normal business hours because he didn't want the other boys in the shop to make fun of him, saying, oh, you're going to be one of those holy rollers. Oh, you're going to be one of those converted, or oh, you're going to be one of those good little boys. And he didn't want to embarrass them, and he started to walk back and forth in front of the store wondering if he should go in. And finally, he determined to go in and talk to this boy. And he went in, and he found him in the back part of the store wrapping up shoes and paper and putting them on the shelves. And he went up to them and he put his hand on his shoulder and he made his plea for Jesus Christ to, the, to that boy and, and asked him to accept Christ as his Savior. And he felt like he was really stumbling over himself and, and not making a lot of sense, but he didn't remember what words he used. He simply told him of Christ's love for him and that Christ wanted him to accept him in return. And it seemed like the young man was ready and the light broke upon him. And right there in the back of the shoe store in Boston, that young man gave his life to Jesus Christ. Edward Kimball had just witnessed to Dwight L. Moody. If you don't know who he is, he's a man that evangelized Chicago in the 1800s. And when I say evangelize Chicago, I mean touch the entire city for Jesus Christ. But that was not the only one he witnessed to. Through his witnessing to Dwight Moody, John Chapman attended the revival of, of Moody that was happening in Chicago, and he accepted Christ. Chapman became a pastor and an evangelist. During one of his revivals, a man named Billy Sunday came forward and accepted Christ. Billy Sunday was a very famous evangelist in the early part of the 19th century and the late 18th century. And he preached a revival which a man named Mordecai Ham was present. He came forward during the invitation and expressed his faith in Jesus Christ. Mordecai Ham became a pastor and a preacher, and he preached a revival in which a young man ran to the front during the altar call and confessed his faith in Jesus Christ. That man was Billy Graham. Before today, most of us probably never heard of the name Edward Kimball. Some of the people know who Dwight Moody is if you live near Chicago, you hear about the Moody Bible Institute, but most probably wouldn't be able to tell you who, who he was, when he lived, or what he did. Some people may have heard the name Billy Sunday prior to now. Maybe a few of us, if you are into church history, heard about the name Mordecai Ham. But all of us have heard the name Billy Graham in our lives. One person named Edward Kimball Believing and obeying the word of God that was spoken to him in the 18th century changed the course of tens of millions of lives. 
one person and a, teaching a Sunday school class. Then it wasn't preaching sermons. He wasn't out there on the streets. He just was faithful in that one thing to preach to some boys and teach some boys every Sunday. And he changed millions, if not billions, of lives in the 19th, 20th, and even the 21st century now. The Bible describes another person believing the word of God that was spoken to her. This person was a teenager in Nazareth, and she had a visitation from the angel Gabriel. And this girl had every reason to doubt the angel's message. She is just a poor girl living in the Bible's version of the sticks. People talk about rural America. This made, rural, this, made this area look like a metropolis. She is in the sticks. Nazareth was considered to be so backwater that to refer a person from being there was to say that they were poor, they were uneducated, they were stupid, they were uncouth in manner and behavior, and generally the person you don't want moving in next to you. Even Jesus' own disciples asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was so well known as being the dirt poor area of the, of the, of the area in Israel at that time. And this girl wasn't even a citizen in the country she lived in. Nazareth was part of conquered Israel. She's a subject of a foreign emperor who cared very little about her well-being. She also lived during a time when women were second-class citizens even in their own community. And even her religion at this point had been twisted into a series of do's and don'ts instead of a pursuit of a transcendent God that loved his creation. Lastly, it's been over 400 years since God has taken notice of her people. Think about that, 400 years. Ten generations of people have lived and died without a fresh word from God. The last prophet, Malachi, spoke of a Messiah that was to come and that he would be preceded by a man who carried the spirit of Elijah. Well, that man carrying the Elijah spirit is now in the womb of her Aunt Elizabeth. And that's the backdrop to what we're going to read this morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And I'm reading from the New International Version. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent Gabriel, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will be without end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. For she who is being unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May 
your word be to me fulfilled. And the angel left her. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. And I ask, Father, as we study the scripture that you have given us to study today, that you will see, help us to see the importance of living according to your word. Not only seeking the word that we find in the scriptures, but the word that we seek and that we hear from listening to your voice, Father. And Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now I want us to focus on verse 37 this morning because it's a little, one, it's a little unusual. Most of, of you who might be reading the King James find that verse to be very different than what you are used to reading. In the King James it says, For with God nothing will be impossible. And that's very different from the NIV's reading. Now when the King James translated the Bible, they had very limited text to work with, and they were in a hurry. King James wanted his Bible published before the Geneva Bible was published, so they were kind of in a hurry to do it. With later uh, findings and later um, textual criticisms, and frankly, we've got many, many tens of thousands of more um, texts uh, to look, ancient texts to look at than they had then, uh, we have found that this verse was actually mistranslated into King James. And if you look at the original languages, it's, this is the most accurate way of, of um, saying this. So no word of God will ever fail. And the reason I'm making this point is because I did a word uh, study for the message. I looked at the original language, and I found this nugget in there that I wanted to share with us this morning as I preached from a verse that is largely used around Christmas. And the nugget that I found in this particular verse was the Greek word for the word, word. Did you get that? The Greek word for the word, word. Maybe I should have Melanie come up here and explain it. She's a teacher. <laughs> the word, W-O-R-D, word, has a few different ways of expressing itself in the Greek language. One of the words that they use for the word, word, is lexi, where we get the uh, English word lexicon from or dictionary from. It's a book containing the meanings of words. Another word is logos which is a written word or history. Logos, for example, is the Bible. The Bible is Logos. It's written word and history for us to read. The word that I want to concentrate is the word that is used here in the text in the Greek language, which is rhema. Rhema is a spoken personal word from one person to another. In our context, it's a spiritual experience in which God speaks to us. Rhema is the same word used by Jesus when he stated that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema word spoken by the mouth of God. Jesus very much indicated that as critical as the Bible is for us to read, as critical as the Bible is for us to understand, to memorize, to, to study and, and just dig into and use it to nourish ourselves, we are to live on with a connection to God where we are hearing His voice. That is what is to give us our spiritual nourishment. And that's the principle that I want to explore today. The principle that we're going to get into of verse 37 is a condition of a soul without the fresh word of God. 
As we previously said, the people living in Galilee and Judea during the time of Jesus' birth, they've gone through ten generations without a fresh word from God. They've kept a form of their religion. They've kept kind of a form of Judaism. They've observed the holidays. They sacrificed at the right times. They gathered once a week to worship and read the Torah and the law and the prophets. And they've tried to live in such a way that they thought might be pleasing to God. But for 400 years, there has been no fresh revelation in their life. The last words of the Old Testament spoke of Elijah returning and ushering in the Messiah. But it's been 400 years. 400 years since a fresh revelation. They've been conquered and lived through the passing of four major world powers in that 400 years. And now they're subjects of Rome. They longed for the return of a King David figure that would lead them back to the good old days. When America was great, I mean, Israel was great again. Yes, that was a play on words. A time when Israel was the world power and they all lived in peace and prosperity. In essence, they longed for this return of Israel's prominence in the world the same way that we long for the rapture. An escape from a world that has gone insane and seems to be getting crazier and crazier by the minute. And we in 21st century Christianity are very similar to them. Like them, most of us will go to church on every Sunday when it's convenient. We observe holidays like Christmas and Easter. We try to live good lives. But if someone were to ask us about our relationship with God, most Christians would invariably tie it to their church attendance. If you ask somebody, you know, what does your relationship with God look like? They'd say, well, you know, I go to, I go to church once or twice a month. They don't talk about a relationship. They're not talking about a moment-by-moment vital relationship with God. But that's only symptoms of the greater spiritual problem. Like Israel during Jesus' time, we as a people of God are suffering from a spiritual famine in our day. And the prophet Amos in the Old Testament described the famine like this. In Amos 8, verse 11, He said, the days are coming, declare the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst of water, but a famine on hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And in that day, the lovely young women and strong men will faint because of thirst. He's talking about a spiritual condition of a people that are not living to hear from God. Francis Chan is an incredible teacher of the Word of God. I would encourage anybody to listen to his teachings, to read his books. Incredible, incredibly deep teacher of the Word. He had one of the fastest growing churches in the United States in 2010. He started with just 30 people in about 2003, and in seven years had grown to almost 2,000. Then suddenly in 2010, he resigned as the pastor. Most people would look at that and say, well, what happened? What happened? Did he get caught doing something that he wasn't supposed to? Did he burn out? Did he have some sort of mental breakdown? He said, no. He said one day he was in prayer, and he realized that thousands and thousands of people were coming to bask in his gift and not discovering God for themselves. That people had set him up as an idol and that they were being actually drawn away from God and drawn toward his gift. 
And I read that, it shook me. Because in other words, he felt that the people were being drawn from his gift, receiving their nourishment and strength from his ability, but not connecting with God. They came to listen to people speak something about Lagos, the Bible and its applications, but they had no living relationship with God in the receiving of spiritual truth directly from God for themselves. And tragically, this describes many of the churches in this country in general, many of us Christians in particular, and tragically, even many pastors. We kind of treat our spiritual lives like our cell phones here. If you have a smartphone, what's one of the biggest things about a smartphone that you're always worried about? How's the battery? These things suck battery like crazy if you leave certain things on. If you leave your data on, if you leave apps on, it just drains the battery quickly. If you walk through a mall, half the people are all huddled around an electrical outlet trying to get their their, uh, cord plugged in to get a little bit of a charge on their phone. And we try all kinds of things to, do, to, to circumvent that. We try to keep the power to minimum, trying to get through the day and trying to get through um, the week in, in regards to our spiritual lives. And we try to get us left with just enough power to get into Sunday morning service and then plug in for a recharge. In fact, I would dare to say that more people spend more time worrying about their phone power than about their relationship with God and whether or not they're plugged into Him. And that's the problem. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament when He laid down this truth. So it's a truth that has existed throughout biblical history and not just particular to the church age. Jesus said, again, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word, every rhema word that comes from the mouth of God. Now the Logos, the Bible, it's here to refresh you. It's here to teach you. It's here to train you. But it's not there to give you a constant source of power. The Bible is like this thing. Everybody wants to know, we were just talking about being concerned about cell phone batteries. This will charge your average smartphone six times. This little pack right here. It's a 1300 milliamp um, recharging thing. I carry it on the ambulance because I don't always have electrical power available. Keeps my cell phone charged for a whole 24 hours. And I carry this with me. But this is how we try to treat our spiritual lives. We try to carry a little pack like this and hope it gets us through. But that's not what God wants in our lives. God wants to speak to us a fresh revelation. He wants us to be plugged into Him. And that's the application of what we have read today. One time I was working on the ambulance and I got a call to a large converted old warehouse in Milwaukee that had been converted to compartments for old old people and poor people. About 30 seconds after entering into this place through a maze of hallways, all the lights went out. It was storming outside, thunderstorm, the lights go out. Now keep in mind, this is an inner city establishment. So the building codes may have not have been all the way up to par. The emergency lights are supposed to pop on immediately when the power goes out, didn't pop on. So now it's 2 a.m., we're, lit, we're in a big warehouse with mazes, with a maze of hallways, surrounded by people who are on, let's say, the lower end of the socioeconomic and educational scale, and we're walking through there with a whole big narcotic bag. 
that they might want, and it's pitch black and we have no idea how to get out. But I'm thinking, eh, no problem, we got our mag light. We brought our mag light in with us. We had this you know, big, long mag light. We carried it for both light and as a self-defense kind of thing. And so I go to fl uh, flick on the mag light, expecting it to light up. After all, during rig check, lit up just fine. It lit up nice and bright, so I think, oh, okay, we're okay. It lit up for about 15 seconds and then went totally black. The batteries were, in fact, dead. We trusted in our batteries, and they let us down. The problem is, is that failing light and failing power isn't just a problem for people working in inner-city inner environments. The problem is that most Christians today, they want one of these. They want an extended spiritual life battery. Unfortunately, I have bad news for you. We don't come with that, that, um, that kind of um, thing in our, in our spirits. It reminds me of our current transport ventilator at the hospital. It's a very old model. We replaced it this week. If it loses electrical power, you have less than five minutes to find a power source before it stops providing life-giving breath to your patient. And it just reminded me of the reality that God never intended us to have one of these. He never intended us to run on batteries. He intended us to always be plugged into Him. Amen. And that's the importance of this rhema word that, he, that we are discussing this morning. I was in prayer a lot this last week asking God what direction He wants us to go in as a church family, being, getting prepared for next year. And one of the things that, that God had showed me through prayer was one of my faults and one of my failings as your pastor. I'm way too much of a teacher sometimes. I expect that if I impart truth, and I hope that you're going to make this connection and impart truth and change into your lives through teaching. Unfortunately, I came upon an article that showed in the 21st century it doesn't work like that anymore. We're too bombarded as a society with information to remember what happened one hour on a Sunday and always apply it to our lives. I read this article about a phone survey that was done on church members of various denominations. They called them on Sunday night and then they called them back on Monday night and they asked them what was taught on Sunday in their church that day. 90% of them couldn't answer any of the questions that they asked about the scripture that was used, the lessons that were taught, or about the applications to their lives. When they called back Monday night, 99% of them had no idea. We need to have a different practice. We need to do something a little different. People used to, when we didn't have anything else to plug into, phones to look at, anything else, people used to actually go to lunch and talk about the sermon. The families would use it for their devotional the entire week. They would really dig into the meat, but were so bombarded and so into and being plugged into this world that we can't possibly remember um, what's going on in, for one hour of a church. So we need to do something maybe a little bit different. We need to learn to plug into the rhema. In emergency medicine, there's an adage about teaching a person new skills. We see one, we do one, we teach one. When you're learning a new skill, you watch it for the first time it's being done. After you watch it being done, you do the skill under supervision. If you pass and you do it correctly, then you teach that skill to somebody else the next time it comes up. Because by then you're going to be confident, you're considered a subject matter expert, they call it. 
The problem is, where discipleship in most churches end is people continually watch, but they never do. They never see, they see it being done all the time, but they never then don't do it. And then they definitely never teach it. And we need to change that in order to walk and grow in our walk with God and to be attractive and useful in His kingdom. We need to see God speaking during our services. Then we will understand how we learn to, to, to go after God and have Him speak into our lives. And then finally, we need to teach others how to hear His voice. And that's our application, putting into practice verse 37, that no word of God will ever fail. So the practice that we have to get into is simply be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. I believe that the Lord God wants to do incredible things in our lives. He wants to do incredible things in our family. And He wants to do incredible things right here in Whitehall in this church. Part of it has to be we have to be willing to unplug from things that this world has to offer. We need to unplug from the world and hand God the power cord. We need to trust Him to find the right socket to plug into. That's the first practice we need to, de- to have in our developing our pursuit of God. We need to learn how to pray again. We're going to be doing that next year. Next spring we're going to be having Ron Auk back for a prayer conference. And he's going to teach us and lead us in prayer to see one, do one, teach one to all of us with pray- our prayer lives. And before that happens, we'll be incorporating more prayer into our service in this next year. I also contacted a man named Mitch Clay. Mitch moves in the prophetic realm. It doesn't mean that he's way out there like some of these guys on TV. He's very deliberate and biblical in his approach to spiritual issues, and he teaches you how to hear the rhema word of God because it's critical in these last days with being bombarded with so much garbage from this world that we are able to hear from God. And if we learn to do this as a church family, it's my hope that we learn to do it in our own relationships with God. But for now, I just want to encourage everybody in this. No word of God has ever failed. If God has spoken words in your life, if He has given you individual promises, It will come to pass. Let me say that again. It will come to pass. Don't doubt God. If He has spoken it to you, if He has promised it to you, it will come to pass. And if you're not one who hears the voice of God speaking to you, take heart. We're going to discover how to do that over the course of the next year. But for now, I want to leave you with a few promises as we get to... Um, get closer to taking communion here. I want to leave you with these for encouragement. Number one, God's gifts and His callings are irrevocable. It's revelation. God's gifts and His callings are irrevocable. Some of you may think you've fallen so far from God's grace that He can't use you anymore. (laughs) It can't happen. Have you ever read the Bible and some of the people that God's used? His gifts and calls are irrevocable. Mary probably thought, the, thought that about the Jewish nation, about the time that Gabriel showed up. But our Father uses the foolish things of this world 
to shame the wise. So you're not out of the game yet. Seek him again and you might be surprised how he can use you in whatever situation you got yourself in for his glory. God doesn't make a mistake. God called you knowing how bad you'd goof it up at times, and yet he still called you. The second promise matches as the first in saying, in Romans 8.38, he said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God does not want you to live a defeated life. He did not save you just to give you fire insurance. He, gave, he came to save you from a humdrum existence. He wants to do incredible things in your life. You just have to give that life over to Him and let Him be your power and let Him be your source of strength. Amen?